Well, good morning, everybody. Glad to be here. I don't know about you, but it feels like it's been a long time since I've been here and gotten to see you. Uh, I know you got to see some other people, and that's great, but man, it's been a while. We were gone for two weeks on vacation with our family, and uh, then when we came back last week, of course, it was the first time for our church to be in the Wanafest parade, so that was phenomenal. That went really, really great. But I just wanted to pause for a moment and, and just say thank you. Um, I want to first of all say thank you to our staff here at Northridge. Pastor Nick's in the room, Pastor Chris is in the room, Reenie's in the room, Laura's on the room, actually all the staff are in the room. Hey, hey that's awesome. Um, so I, we have, uh, I have a better team than I deserve. Truly, I really, really do. They are awesome. And, and most of what they do, almost 90% of probably what they do, is not seen by the large group. But let me just tell you that um, most of what happens at Northridge happens because of them. It doesn't necessarily happen because of me. And so just, yeah, seriously. And there's no way we could be gone if that wasn't the case. And so our team is awesome. Secondly, I want to say this. Um, you guys are awesome. Seriously, and I mean this. I'm not saying this like, oh, good, puff up the church, like, you know, all that kind of stuff. But seriously, you guys volunteer week in and week out. You guys are here, and you're smiling at the doors, and you're doing stuff throughout the week, and you're, you're hammering on things, and you're helping things. And for two weeks, you guys picked up that slack. And then last week when we did, had to figure a hundred things out to be in the parade, a lot of you stepped in and stepped up. You donated things to us, like generators to run the sound system, all those things. You you guys, I'm serious, I, the church is better than I deserve as well. You guys are amazing. So this is going to feel weird, but seriously, give yourselves a hand. Uh, honestly, I know it's like, okay, it's a little less. It's like, this is for us. But seriously, you deserve it. And I'm clapping for you because you're awesome. Um, and just one more thing I want to mention. I just want to say thank you. I know they're not in the room and they, they are probably not listening because they've got their own thing going on this morning. But Jeremiah Gomez and Josh Howard, they came and I invited them to come from a heritage church down in the Quad Cities in Illinois. They have a phenomenal church down there. But let me just say, didn't they kill it? I mean... They brought God's word. It was amazing. I got to listen to Jeremiah's at the, the last day of vacation on the way back, driving on the uh, boring interstate, and I just lit, we, our whole family listened. Actually, our kids watched him on the screen in the back while Laura and I, I didn't watch him because I was driving. Uh, but he just did a phenomenal job. And then the, the next week, I listened to Josh Howard's as well. I mean, they just, um, it was amazing. They did awesome. And so I'm just... Jeremiah and Josh, if you ever listen to this, thank you. Uh, I'll let you know, obviously, in a different way as well. But um, I'm just thankful to be back. So uh, we were gone on vacation for a couple of weeks. And uh, the first week we were in South Dakota. And uh, Laura has two sisters that live in western South Dakota. And so we were there. We went to the Badlands. We did hiking in the Black Hills. But I wanted to share a couple of things with you. Some of you are going to be excited about this. Some of you are not going to be excited about this. But this kind of vacation, for me, it was a mountains year. And so it was life-giving for me. And uh, on the way out to South Dakota, we stopped in the Badlands, which has a lot of prairie dog cities, prairie dog holes. And, uh, and we love, as a family, I love, because I used to, I 
grew up doing this. I grew up in South Dakota. I love to go check the prairie dog holes and see if there's like skeletons of prairie dogs. Usually there are. Uh, but I had just gotten done saying to my kids, be careful when you run up to the prairie dog holes because a lot of times there's rattlesnakes that hide in those prairie dog holes in order to kill and eat uh, prairie dogs. And so I said, just be careful before you go up and start digging into those things. Just make sure there's not a rattlesnake in them because it can happen. I kid you not, five minutes later, we have a picture of it. This is what we found in one of the prairie dog holes. Oh, yes. Can I just say it made my summer? I'm serious. I like you guys. I know I'm weird because some of you, Randy's back there putting it up and he's like, Pastor Brent, are you serious? You're going to lose me this morning. I do not. I hate snakes. I, I understand some of you are deathly afraid of snakes. I loved it. My heart leaps for joy. You know what I did with my kids? I said, guys, get over here. Look at this. And I may have gotten possibly a little bit too close to get that picture. But anyway, I got it because I needed to prove that we saw a massive, that thing is massive, that thing is almost as thick as, I told Randy, as big as his water bottle. It was awesome. And yes, I actually tried to get some rocks and tried to get him to come out of the hole as well. I know I'm crazy. You guys think I'm nuts. Let me tell you, I've killed a lot of rattlesnakes in my day growing in South Dakota. So like, they want those things dead. Um, it would have been illegal in the Badlands, so I wouldn't have done it there, but it was just awesome. And then, so the next week, then we went to Glacier National Park. And we had a phenomenal time. Talk about views everywhere you look. And of course, again, life-giving for me. My heart just soars when I'm in the mountains. It's, it's amazing. And so we went on a lot of hikes. But the last day we went on a hike and uh, we found another animal. As we were passing by on the trail, this animal knew we were there. And so we passed and we were taking a picture of a lake and then we heard it coming out of the woods. And I have an eight-second video to show you what uh, came out of the woods and walked on the trail with us. Uh, on the last day of the mountains. Go ahead and take a look at that. Oh, yeah. It was a grizzly bear. My first time to see a grizzly bear. And yes, again, my heart was so excited. And I was like, kids, get over here. And Laura said, Brent, you get them back over here. You get them over here. We may have had a moment right there. And I was like, I've got my bear spray. We're fine. That's how it went down. And yes, I had to go around the corner a little closer in order to get that video. Uh, but it was pretty close. But man, my, my heart was just soaring. It was a great vacation. So all that to say, thank you uh, for giving us the gift of uh, being able to be gone for a couple of weeks. Um, it, was, it was just an amazing special time for our family. Uh, but I also am glad to be back. And Laura's even letting me keep my beard for a while. Uh, so yes, praise the Lord. Miracles happen. Um, he's still working. All right. Um, so we are in the middle of a series, a sermon series called Backstory. We are looking at Bible stories, stories out of God's Word that some are really well known and some are not well known at all. Some of these stories that we're talking about, actually hardly anybody has ever heard about. And so we're taking those, whether they're well-known or not, we are taking those stories and then we're talking about the backstory. How did we get to that story, that moment in time? And so today's story is no different, but before I get into it, let me ask you a question. Have you ever wondered in your life about your life, how did I get here? 
Have you ever wondered that? Like how, and, I, and I don't mean like, how did you end up on planet Earth or the birds and the bees talk? I don't mean that kind of how did I get here. I mean, have you ever wondered like, how did I end up in this situation, in this place, in this current status of my life? Have you ever asked yourself that question? How did I get here? For example, for me, uh, I sometimes ask myself this question, how did I get to this point in my life where I have a lot more hair on my face than I do on top of my head, right? How did I get there? Well, today's story is about two guys, mainly, and it's two guys that have a problem. In fact, there's really one guy that has a problem with the other guy. This story that we're going to read, it begs the question, how did they get to that place? How did they get there? So this story, I'm not going to give you much context because I just want to read it and let it kind of unpack itself, but this story is essentially about a guy named King Saul. He's the king of the nation of Israel and a guy named David. Now, I guess is most of us have heard of David But we don't hear a lot about King Saul, and so this story is about Saul and David. And the truth is that I'll give you this little fun fact and tidbit. The king of the nation of Israel, Saul, is trying to kill David in this story. And so I'm going to read this story because then something very weird happens. You're going to wonder why I'm reading this story on a Sunday morning once we get into it. All right, but here we go. 1 Samuel chapter 24. If you'd like to follow along, we're going to start with verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 11. After Saul, this is the king of Israel, returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops, Navy SEALs, you understand, right? The best fighting men from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. Now, the En Gedi and the wild, rocks of the wild goats, that doesn't mean anything to us, but understand that when this story was being uh, told and recorded, everybody knew where this stuff was. Okay? We don't know, but it's just describing the location. It's helping us to understand that this is a real story. At the place where the road passes some sheepfold, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. He had to go to the bathroom, in other words, right? They didn't have any quick trips back then yet, and so he had to find a place, right? But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. Hmm, interesting. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him, Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this to my lord the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one. For the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. After Saul had left the cave and gone his way, David came out and shouted after him, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. Then he shouted to Saul, Why do you listen to the people who say, I am trying to harm you? 
This very day, you can see with your own eyes, it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Remember when you were going to the bathroom? Yeah, I was there with you. I know, creepy, right? I was there. I'm not trying to harm you. This very day, you can see with your own eyes, it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It is a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I am not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting for me to kill me. So they're in kind of a bad place. King Saul has gathered these elite troops in order to go after David and kill him and kill his men. And for some reason, maybe God orchestrates this or whatever happens, but Saul ends up needing to use the restroom in the very cave where David and his men are fighting or hiding to be able to to get out of there. And understand that Saul, he's in the bright sunlight. I don't know, maybe it was a gloomy day. I'm not sure. But let's say it was bright and sunny, and he walks into the cave, so understand he can't see anything. And he's using the facilities, so to speak. And David and his men are huddled in the back of this cave, out of sight of him. And they realize, oh my goodness, David, you can solve your problem. He's been trying to kill you for a long time. Now you can kill him and we can be done. We can all go home. We can end this right now. And David says no. But he cuts off the robe so that he can prove to Saul, I am not trying to hurt you. I have nothing against you. I'm not trying to do anything to harm you. Why are you believing everybody else that's telling you I am? But the question I have is this. How did Saul and David get to this point. How did they get to where Saul hated David so much that he wanted to do anything he possibly could to kill him? How did he get there? Well, in order to answer that question, we have to tell the backstory. So we have to go back when King Saul was a little bit younger and David was actually a teenager. We don't know his exact age, but we do know he was somewhere in the range of 15 years old to 19 years old. So he's like an upper level, older teenager age, 15 to 19 years old, somewhere in that range. We knew he was not old enough to be in the army yet because of what I'm about to tell you. So at this season of time, the nation of Israel is at war with the Philistines, or the Philistines, the nation of Philistia. And so you have the Philistine army on one side of a valley and the Israelite army on the other side, and they're all lined up ready to fight each other. But you guys know this story, don't you? There's this giant of a man that walks out. His name is Goliath. According to the Bible, he's somewhere around like the nine feet tall range. Massive guy. Massive guy. And he walks out and he steps out and he makes fun of the Israelites and he makes fun of their God and he makes fun of their faith. And then he says, I propose a deal. The deal is this. You choose one of your guys to come out and fight me. 
And if he defeats me, if he kills me, then we, our whole nation, will be your slaves. We will be conquered and we'll be your slaves. But if I kill your guy, then the entire nation of Israel will be conquered and you will be our slaves. And so Goliath would do this every single day. But the problem was that nobody in Israel would fight Goliath. They were scared of him. And so nobody fights him day after day after day after day. Goliath steps out and makes fun of their faith, makes fun of their God, and says, come and fight me. This is a good deal. But the armies just stay there. Until one day, a guy named Jesse sends his son, David, a teenager, with some bread and some cheese, some happy meals, or maybe Chick-fil-A, whatever it is. And he's supposed to take this food to his brothers, his older brothers, who are on the front lines in the army. They are old enough to fight. And Jesse, his father, says, David, I want you to kind of figure out what's going on. I want you to bring back news to our family of how things are going. And so David gets there, and wouldn't you know it, when David gets there, who steps out and does his normal routine? Goliath. And David looks around at his brothers and everybody else and he says, do you hear this guy? He's making fun of our God. He's making fun of our nation. And nobody's gone out to fight him. I'll fight him. And and this is the moment sometimes people, when they're reading this story, they're like, ha, typical teenagers. But in this story, David was the one that was right. The teenager knew what he was supposed to do. And David ends up going out to meet, and you guys know the story. He meets Goliath, and Goliath is making fun of David, and Goliath is stepping slowly. It says in God's Word that Goliath moves toward David, but David was not moving slowly. David was running, it says, running at Goliath. He was not scared because he knew God was on his side. And David runs, and then David doesn't have any armor. He has no weapons except a sling. And five, the Bible records this, five smooth stones. And as David is running at Goliath, he takes one of those smooth stones and he puts it in the sling. And one of the reasons I think he was running at Goliath was to show Goliath, I'm not scared of you, God's on my side. You know why the other reason is? I think he was trying to get as close as he could so that when he let loose the sling, it was the perfect target. He's getting closer to Goliath so that he can make sure that that first stone hits where it's supposed to. And he takes that sling and he goes like this. And he's a shepherd, so he knows how to use it with deadly accuracy. And he lets loose that smooth stone and it flies through the air. And I can just hear the collective from both armies. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that that stone found its mark. It hits Goliath direct center of the forehead, but it doesn't just hit him in the head. It actually crushes his skull, and it says it sinks in to his head. And Goliath immediately falls flat on his face in the dirt. The teenager has defeated the defiant Goliath. Well, now, let me just ask you, What do you think the stories happened after that? What do you think the headlines were after that? Do you think that there were some stories going on after everybody watched this teenager go out and fight this massive, massive a man, Goliath, and defeated him? 
Oh, you better believe the stories were circulating. But what I want to do is I want to read for you what happens after the war ends, because remember what Goliath said, after that we'll be your slaves. Well, after that, the Philistine army, they run. And the Israelites run after them, and they rout them, and they win the war. And so now the Israelite army and King Saul and David and everybody else, they're all marching back victoriously because the war has been won. And they're going through all these towns, and I want to read for you in 1 Samuel 18 what happens in this moment, because this is where it all goes wrong. 1 Samuel 18, starting with verse 6. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Ooh, those are fighting words right there. This made Saul very angry. What's this? He said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands? Next they'll be making him their king. <laughs> Prophet. Spoiler alert, David does become king, by the way. So from that time on, what does it say? Saul kept a, what does it say? Jealous eye on David. Something snapped that day in Saul. Something changed in Saul that day. Something shifted in not a good way in Saul that day. All of a sudden, Saul began to let jealousy seep into his life. He let hatred begin to seep into his life and bitterness toward David, this teenager. Saul, you've done great. You've killed your thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. Now, before we go, oh, Saul, you're such a horrible guy. I mean, why did you let a teenager get at you? Before we kind of fault Saul for this, let's try to actually put this situation in modern context. Let's say you're at your job, okay? And the CEO, your boss, gathers the entire company together. Let's say maybe you work for a company of 10 to 15 employees, or maybe you work for a company that has two, three, four hundred people. But let's say he gathers or she gathers everybody together in your company and you've worked there for 20 years and, and your boss, your CEO calls you out and say, hey, I just want you to know, man, you've given us 20 years. You're awesome. You have sold thousands of products. You're just amazing. But right now, I just want to spend some time highlighting this, this college recruit that we got two years ago. They are killing it. And I wanted to bring her up here and just, and just show you. She, in two years, has sold tens of thousands of products, more than you have in 20. We just want to celebrate that today. And to do that, I want to give her a bonus of $5,000. Can we all just give her an applause? Yeah. How many of you would be like, yeah. This is awesome. I'm so proud of her for stealing my job. And then the next announcement is, we're going to make her the VP of sales. 
How many of you would applaud that? Or how many of you would have a problem with that? I've given you 20 years. Jealousy might be a problem for us, possibly. Or maybe you remember a Christmas when uh, things weren't quite equitable at Christmas and, you know, all you wanted was a, a pony. But you didn't get a pony, you got a hamster. Hamster wheel. <laughs> I got a hamster. Look at him go. Woohoo! You wanted a pony, but you didn't get a pony. You got a hamster, but you know what? Your sister got a pony. How'd you feel about that? Or maybe it wasn't a pony. Maybe it was a phone. You wanted a smartphone. That's all you wanted. You wanted your own phone. But what you got was Connect Four. I can play board games until I'm bored. It's going to be awesome. But one of your siblings got a phone. Jealousy might be a problem. Or maybe, maybe you posted on your social media platform of choice, Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, which is more like a dinosaur at this point. But maybe you posted on the social media platform of your choice and, and you posted some pictures of your vacation and how awesome it was, rattlesnakes and grizzly bears. And you said, man, it was amazing, and 50 people liked it, and you're like, wow, yeah, people like my vacation post. But then your friend of 20 years down the road, your neighbor, the one who always does everything right, posts about their vacation, and 217 people like their post. And suddenly your post doesn't feel as good. Jealousy might be a problem. You see, jealousy is one of those things that seeps in. And when we are presented with these opportunities, when, when jealousy comes in or hatred or bitterness or somebody does something that we don't like or they gain accolades for something that we feel we deserved, I'm the king here, this teenager is not. When those situations happen, here's the truth, we all know this, there is a choice between two paths, isn't there? And this path is an internal one. It's probably not going to be seen because when that person comes up and gets their bonus, you probably aren't sitting there going, uh. why? Because you'll look jealous. It's not because you don't want to not be jealous. It's because you don't want to look jealous. You're probably there like this, like everybody else. Yay for you. Glad I put in 20 years for this. There's a path to choose internally. And the path, the choice is between sin or surrender. Sin or surrender. And just to be clear, it's really, really important which path you choose. Because here's what we sometimes think. We sometimes think that sin and surrender go to the same place, the same direction. 
But can we be really, really clear here this morning that when we choose, whichever path we choose, if it's sin or if it's surrender, these two paths, they may start at the same person, but we need to be really clear, they diverge from there. They go different directions, don't they? The path of sin does not run parallel to surrender, it runs away from it. And surrender doesn't run parallel to sin, surrender runs away from it. They diverge and they go different directions, they end up in different places. So uh, when Laura and I were teachers back in North Carolina, we were both public school teachers, we were also highly involved as volunteers in our church, just like you guys are. And... um, and we, our church had this great youth pastor, and he did a phenomenal job, uh, but the, the team of this youth pastor was hindered by the fact that his wife was not so great. And uh, this is not me judging by any means, but I will just say this, that for some reason, I, I honestly don't know why to this day, but for some reason she was incredibly... Uh, jealous, hateful, and negative, and therefore she was really threatened by people around her, including, in this case, my wife. Now, let me just say, if you know my wife, Laura, it's going to take a lot to be threatened by my wife, Laura. She's one of the nicest people I know. I am biased. But she was threatened by her, and so she would treat her, both verbally and with actions, pretty poorly. Sometimes she would say mean things to Laura, and sometimes she would say things, mean things about Laura to other people in the church. This happened quite a bit. And obviously that hurt Laura deeply, but it also hurt me deeply. Now, the reason I bring this up, I, I can honestly say this, Laura and I have settled this issue long ago. We, we've gone through the forgiveness, we've gone through that whole thing. We settled that long, long ago. In fact, I even forgot about this, this whole possible example in, in the sermon until I really just sat down and prayed and started thinking, and God brought this to my mind. We settled this issue long ago. It's not an issue anymore. But the reason I bring it up is because any time we would hear her name, she didn't have to be in the room, she didn't have to be anywhere near us, any time we would hear her name, and no, I'm not going to give you the name because somebody of this name, I don't think they go to Northridge yet, but if they do, I don't want them to worry about this. But any time we heard her name, it made my blood boil, it made my skin crawl. She didn't even have to be in the room, I just heard her name. It's like, you guys have anybody in your life like that currently makes your blood boil makes your skin crawl I think there's a good probability most of us do the truth is it is hard to choose the correct path isn't it sin feels right Surrender feels like we're letting them off the hook. Sin feels good because we keep the pain going. Surrender feels like that doesn't seem right. So the truth is that God is going to prompt you 
to not only not take this path, but if you have chosen this path, some of us in here, maybe we've chosen this path a long time ago, and we've been on it for a long time, this path of sin, of jealousy, of hatred. And, and sometimes God will try to keep us, of course, from that path, but sometimes we take that path, and God is going to do everything He can to try to get us off this path to move to this path. In fact, this happened with Saul and David. So Jonathan, who is Saul's son, he goes to David. He had developed a friendship with David, and, and he wanted to protect David, and he believed that David was in the right in this situation. He knew he was on the correct path, and his father... The king was on the wrong path. And so Jonathan goes to David and he says, David, I'm going to try to reason with my dad. I'm going to talk to the king for you because I know he's, you know, he's kind of being bad. He's trying to kill you and all that stuff. So let me talk to him for you. So I want to pick up that moment in the story. 1 Samuel 19, 4 and 5. The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father, this is Saul, about David, saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant David, Jonathan said. He's never done anything to harm you. He has always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant, Goliath? Remember that? And how the Lord brought a great victory to all Israel as a result? You were certainly happy about it then. In other words, you liked David in that moment. Why should you murder an innocent man like David. There's no reason for it at all. In other words, what Jonathan was trying to do is he was trying to help his father to see, don't you see you're on the wrong path? You're on the road to destruction. We're headed a bad way, and it's going to hurt you, and it's going to hurt our family, and it's going to hurt the nation of Israel. Don't you see, Dad, that you're destroying your life and you're destroying your family. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. This illustrates a really important point, and that is this. Once you've chosen this path, it's really hard to get off of it. And, by the way, the further you go down that path, the harder it is. The longer you're on that path, the harder it is to get off. I'm not saying it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. But the harder it is. Why? Because the longer you're on that path, the more you have to ask for forgiveness for. I don't know about you, but I don't like to ask for forgiveness for this much, let alone this much. And so I want to take you to a question. And this is really important, guys. This is really, really important. I believe, truly believe this, that we have a couple of groups of people in here. I really do. We're not going to end with a song today because I think we need to end hard stop and let you wrestle. So the band's not going to come back up. We're not going to go out, woo, raise a hallelujah. It's okay. You can raise a hallelujah. But I think we need to do some business with God first. Because it would be really, really not good if we walk out of here and say, wow, service was good today. Glad it stopped raining. I think we need to do some business with God. 
Because I think there's a couple of groups. And so here's the question I have for you. Do you sitting here, do you, would you say that you identify in this story more with David or more with Saul? Let's take David first. Would you say that you're here and you feel more like the victim today? You would say, Brent, you don't understand. You, you don't know what my, that member of my family did to me. You don't know how painful that was. Brent, you don't know how, how hurtful that person was on social media. They called me out. They lied about me. It was not even true. And everybody chimed in on it. And it was embarrassing. And it made me look stupid. You don't understand. You didn't see that. You didn't read it. You don't understand. My parent, he, my father, my mother, they were supposed to be there for me. They were supposed to love me. I know some of you had that reality. Some of you say, you don't understand how deeply hurting that is. I have felt rejected my whole life. I've been jealous of other people who had that life. Are you David? Are you here and you feel like you've been wronged by a person or by a group of people? And, and you know you've been on this path. You've hated them all your life for it. Are you David? And if you are... I want to ask you an important question. It's a hard question. Are you willing to do what David did? Are you willing to show mercy? Are you willing to forgive? See, forgiveness is not letting that other person off the hook. It's releasing you from the pain and the hatred and the bitterness that you've held. Remember, you're not hurting them. You're not letting them off the hook. You're not saying it is okay. If you forgive them, you're not saying it's totally fine. Do that all again. That's not what forgiveness says. Forgiveness says, I am releasing the hatred and the pain and the bitterness and the jealousy that I've had on you for months or for years or for even decades. It's you releasing that and saying, God, I'm going to give it to you. You are the one that takes care of this. Are you willing to forgive? Or maybe you're here and you're Saul. You would never say it out loud. But you're Saul. You've been harboring jealousy and anger toward a person. Just think about it. Is there anybody in your life that you just hate? If they walked in the room right now, you'd almost have to leave. You'd physically have to walk out. Are you like Saul? And it's all right there, right on the surface, ready to boil. And my question to you is, are you willing to allow God to come into that room? I, you might believe in God. You might believe in Jesus. You've accepted Christ. Good. 
But maybe have you been holding God out of that little room in your soul, that little room in your heart, that bitterness, that pain, that jealousy. Maybe you've said, God, I don't want you to touch that. That's mine. I'm going to always hate them because that's what feels right. You don't, they wronged me, and so I'm going to hurt them by hating them. And you've not allowed God to touch that part. Are you like Saul? Do you need to release that? Are you willing to let God come in and forgive you for that jealousy that you've held on, that sin that you've, that past? Like Saul, he let it eat him. By the way, I tell you this because I don't want to see you destroy your life. I wish I could tell you that Saul's story ends well. I'm just here to tell you, it doesn't. Saul and his sons are killed brutally because of Saul's obsession with jealousy and hatred. With Saul trying to prove himself worthy because he was comparing himself to David his whole life. This leads to a really bad place. Are you willing to release it? Are you willing to allow God to show you a different path? And by the way, remember, we have people that are ready to pray with you and for you every single Sunday. They're here today. They are ready to pray with you and for you. If you know you're here and you need to release this. You may not be ready, but maybe you are ready and you're just scared to do it. But let me just say this. If you're scared to do it, but you want to do it, then do it. It's going to be so hard. It's going to be so hard. I'm not, I'm not saying your pain doesn't matter. I'm saying it does. It so matters that you need to release it because it's hurting you. There are people here ready to pray with you and lead you in that. Maybe today is just the first step. Maybe it miraculously happens today. Maybe it's just the first step in a process for you. That's okay. But take that first step. Allow God to step into that. He's always been right there with you, with his arms open. You just have to accept it. God loves you. God loves you. Some of you don't believe that. So I'm going to say it one more time. God loves you. He loves you. Will you accept his love? How did you get there? No matter what path you've chosen, there's always hope. God's arms are always open to you. Will you release the jealousy, the bitterness, the hatred, the rage? Let me just say this last thing. I'm so far off my notes, it doesn't matter anyway at this point. I went to a leadership summit this last week. And you know what? The main theme was, was empathy. (laughs) 
the one thing that I would say in this world that we lack the most severely right now in the last two years, you guys have been fighting with your family over masks. You've been fighting over Republican and Democrat. You've been fighting over whether or not we should wear a mask or we shouldn't wear a mask. And by the way, let me just say this. Oh man, we had a leader harp on this. So good. I want to stand up and say, raise a hallelujah on that one. It would have been weird, so I didn't. But he said, are you kidding me? We're fighting. We've been arguing about our politics and our rights and all that stuff. And in this country, can I just say, we have probably the most rights just about of any nation on planet Earth. And we're squabbling as Christians over masks and vaccines and all this stuff. Can we just stop and release the jealousy and the hatred and actually be unified and say, you know what, the most important thing is not a Republican or Democrat, but it's Jesus. Jesus won. Number one, that's it. That's it. And yet we harbor, we hold, no, I'm going to hold on to my pain because it feels so good when I destroy my life. Stop destroying your life and your family's life and your kid's life. Release it. God is there and he says, trust me, it's really good in my arms. It's really good in my arms. Biden's arms, Biden, President Biden, I don't think they're as good as God's. Trump's arms, (laughs) not as good as God's. If, if, if your savior is politics, <laughs> you have the wrong church. Jesus is our savior, our only savior. Will you allow him to do the work that needs to be done? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, We need you desperately. Whoever is here, whether they're a David, whether they're a Saul, or maybe they're both. <laughs> maybe they'd say, Brent, I, I, I relate to both guys. I've been hurt and I've done some hurting. God, I pray that you would help them to be bold and courageous enough, strong enough realize to be embrace the truth and realize that they need you in their life to extract to pull out to pull this jealousy and the hatred and the bitterness out of them that we need to forgive because we've been forgiven i look forward to seeing people who walk and live in freedom Not because they've been given the right by a nation, but because they have surrendered their life to you, Jesus. If there are people that need to do business, will they go back and pray with with the people today before they leave here? Do business with you, God, before they leave. God, help us to walk in freedom, not in bondage, not in pain but we need to release it to you. So help us to do that, God. Help us to surrender and choose that path of placing you at the center. We pray this 
And we ask this in the matchless, no other name that has this power, name of Jesus. Amen. I love you guys.